Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. The Navy has a fine sense of tradition. Whenever an American vessel leaves port, the crew sings this ancient sea chanty. A one, a two, a three, a four. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me today, from an undisclosed location near the grassy knoll, is Nick. We're still doing this? Uh, sure. The grassy knoll is a turtle. <laughs> yeah. So what you're saying is, I can't do a Jesse Ventura. Uh, oh, yeah. I got I to gotta hear his voice, and then I, I can get pretty close to it. I know I can. I'm not... An, I'm not a comedian, and I'm definitely not an impersonator. Oh, no. God, no. But I know I could do a pretty good one. And, Nick, I don't know why I'm talking about Jesse Ventura, because they were talking about Nazis. And that's not a good segue at all. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> so what What do you know about... Um, also, like, forgive any fuck-ups that I say uh, more than normal, because my eyes are currently dilated. Oh, uh, uh, yes. And... Your close vision is completely dog shit when your eyes are dilated and the laptop screen is burning my retinas. <laughs> I think there's a term for close vision. Uh, I don't know. Nearsightedness? I, I, I say close vision. Up close eye stuff. Uh, yeah. Uh, Nick, you're a World War II guy. You're a, you're, you're a resident World War II uh, guy. Yeah, I, I dabble. Um, what do you know about life in a fucking U-boat? Not a thing. Is that what we're, we're talking about? Talking life about? in a U-boat, World War Two. I do have oh. to point out there's because like there's U-boats in World War One too. Uh, but like, well, what 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 I can say is uh, it was a sweaty life. It was a bo life. Very much so, and probably more than I. I have seen Hunt for Red October. Have you ever seen Dust Boot? I I, I want to see it, but I don't know. It's been recommended to me by reenactors, and that just turns me off. It is a really good movie. Uh, really? And it's also a very good book, uh, written by an okay. actual uh, U-boat veteran, uh, which are super rare, and we'll talk about why that's the case. Um, Do they hate themselves? Uh, no. It, it's the it, It's like, honestly, it's hard to, it's like, I don't know, probably like, being 19 or 18, 15, and you run into like a veteran of um, uh, Napoleon's invasion of Russia, like, holy shit, some of you made it? <laughs> you kind of like exist. that. Yeah. Like, we assumed that all of you were dead. Um, yeah. And um, so it, it's bad. Um, in case you're running short on time or whatever, and you're running into work while listening to this podcast. Uh, uh, too long, didn't read. Life in a U-boat is re- real, real bad. Um, and, you know... Have a good day at work. Yeah, have a good day at work. Tell me what that's like being gainfully employed. Now, um, 
life aboard a submarine still kind of sucks from what I've understood, uh, which is why like the U.S. Navy suckers people into like six year long contracts because Whoa. they really only get you for one um, and they have to be really long. Um, but we're going to be talking about uh, various different U-boats during World War II. Um, and instead of talking about all of the different makes and models or whatever, because there's a few, um, I'm going to talk in generalities. Uh, I'm not a, a submarine nerd like at all. And pointing out the differences in all the different subs honestly doesn't change the quality of life for most of these people. <laughs> like Most of the changes had nothing to do with crew life uh, quality whatsoever. It was almost like, now it can carry more torpedoes or... Like now it can go even further underwater. Yes, it it actually just burns sailors for fuel now, but like it, we can go underwater for hours at a time. But you know, it was almost universally though. It, so it does seem like life in a Allied sub, like an American sub, um, in World War II was better, but not a whole lot. Um, it was almost right. universally bad. Um, and I'm talking quality of life on board without people shooting at you or trying to blow you up with depth charges or whatever. Like the, um, the, the American subs seem to have a bigger refrigeration system. Um, they actually had a functioning kitchen with a cook on board, uh, which is impressive in comparison to the, the U boats, which did not. Um, yeah. Uh, there was, um, cooking on board, but it was like almost, it was like a hot plate situation. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more why that quickly didn't matter. Um, so obviously, life aboard these U-boats was horribly, horribly cramped. Uh, a normal sub was only about 311-ish feet long. Um, right. I should point out that the vast majority <laughs> so of this fucking thing were in this? is not meant for people. It's all That's machinery true. to keep the U-boat from not killing you while you're underwater. Uh, which, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Because it, it, it depends mostly on like what exactly they're doing, but we'll get there. Um, now, it's weird because they're called U-boats, like underwater boat, rather than, sub, rather than submarine. Because this is going to sound kind of weird here, but it was pretty much a surface ship that could stay underwater for a little while. I know that probably sounds really fucking brain dead for me to say because... It's a submarine. A submarine is a boat that goes underwater. Um, but that's actually not really the case. Uh, it's like a, a, an important <laughs> differentiator, which honestly, when I read that at I first. I had to reread that sentence. I yeah, thought it sounded very really dumb. Sentence, like, what? Beca- because I'm like, yeah, of course it's a boat that goes underwater. That's like saying uh, a plane is a car that flies. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, and a, 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 a 737 is just a commuter train that flies. Like, that makes a lot of sense when you, like, rip a bong or whatever. Um, so the main reason why I have to uh, kind of point that out is that most people think of, like, a modern submarine that can stay underwater for a very, very, very long time. Um, but World War II subs, especially U-boats, stayed on the surface pretty much 90% right. of the time. All their combat Makes patrols sense. were carried out on the surface water. and submerging underwater was literally only <laughs> for like uh, an, an ambush attack or when you're running for your life. <laughs> so it's um, working. You never stayed underwater for that long. If you <laughs> There's a reason for that. Um, uh, I believe they just call those Soviet submarines. 
And it's because they're still on the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> Nailed it. That one's been underwater since 1986. Keep it up, boys. Uh, there's, a, there's a reason why they didn't stay underwater that long, and that's mostly a technological thing. Uh, these things were powered by a diesel engine uh, while it was surfaced. And while it was surfaced, the diesel engine would recharge a lead-acid battery, uh, like a lot of them, like is a whole array of batteries, that would then be switched over to power them while they're underwater, thus draining the battery. So you could only stay below the surface as long as batteries could keep the sub alive. This could be around 24 hours or 80 nautical miles, whichever came first, barring any horrible mechanical problems, which... There were so many of those, Nick. Just so many awful mechanical problems. Yeah, I've seen movies where there's bidding out of pipes and people are just closing faucets. I'm just they're like, why? Okay, so keep that in mind later on. Why having seawater inside a submarine other than the fact that, okay, now we're going to sink and we can't control it. There's actually a lot of other things of why that's bad. And we'll talk about that uh, later. Uh, yes, seawater inside your boat, bad. Uh, the, like, like I always say, this podcast covers the, the, the hard topics. Um, so something bad would really, really happen. Uh, if say that seawater that's rushing in through pipes or whatever came in contact with those batteries that were keeping you alive while you're underwater. Right. Uh, lead acid batteries combined with seawater creates chlorine gas. Oh, <laughs> They're fucking gassing um, themselves. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, uh, if, if anything, if anybody's ever hit the Nazis with an Uno reverse card, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Locking them in an enclosed tube and then gassing them. Like, <laughs> fucking the Poseidon is like, got you good, fucker. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, also, that was a huge problem even when it was above the surface. Because, you know, leaks happen and whatnot. Um, but yeah, if, if water got in the battery compartment, they were absolutely fucked. Uh, which will become important later on. Because uh, we're going to go over what honestly is probably the dumbest sinking in U-boat history. And that's going to be an important part of it. Now, these things are 311 feet-ish long. I hope a dude um, was just like carrying a glass of water and tripped. I'm going to need you to think dumber. <laughs> also, you don't drink seawater. You'll die. No, just like a regular <laughs> glass of water. Oh, so the salt is an important part of why it doesn't work. Anyway, well, we'll Maybe get you wanted that. some salt in it. Who knows? I have a sore tooth, and I need to gargle this salt water right next to these batteries. <laughs> yeah. uh, I made... Oh. Um, now, for like this tube being full of machinery with batteries that could possibly fire chlorine gas at you and being fueled by diesel fuel, like, you assume there's like I don't know, some like decent speed, right? Like these things can get up and move. Like yeah. how, fa- how fast do you see these things going? Let's see, 10 miles per hour. You're close, eight, eight miles an hour while submerged. That's not bad. That's like World War I tank speed right there. That's, that's faster than I can go underwater. That, yeah, you know, it's, it's not faster than Michael Phelps can go underwater. So take that, U-boats. Michael Phelps. It, <laughs> American Ingenuity. The seven yeah. foot tall freak of nature that runs on Doritos and weed smoke. Um, now, just for a little comparison, mo- I do this mostly for myself because I don't know anything about submarines. Um, 
a modern nuclear powered sub. And there's a listener who continually complains about how I say the word nuclear. How do you say it? I'm not going to fix it now. Nuclear. What's wrong with that? Or as Homer Simpson, I don't know. As Homer Simpson says, nuclear. It's pronounced <laughs> nuclear. I don't see the issue. Um, so, uh, I don't know. So I, I, I was curious about how these World War II era subs compared to modern day subs. So a modern day nuclear sub can stay underwater for months with the longest underwater patrol going Ooh. for 111 days by a British submarine in the, uh, in the 1980s, which sounds <laughs> yeah. like fucking hell on earth. Yeah. Yeah, you're just stuck in a metal tube Ugh. full of people you definitely hate by this point. I, I can only compare being in a sub as like, I don't know, being moist tankers. You know, like, because like I, I, was a, I, I was in a tank, so after a, a maybe a week, you're already over everybody's, over everybody's shit. Every, you're, you're over them completely. Uh, I can't imagine after 111 days of being locked inside together, this is going to be a murder. I just can't imagine like, oh, let me go take a shower and then walking back out and like, oh, cool, I just got fucking steamy, all fucking moist again. Um, I will say that's better than the other option uh, that we'll, we'll, we'll talk about right now. So let's say you got drafted uh, by Nazi Germany and you ended up in the Kriegsmarine, but had the shit luck of being in a submarine. What kind of life would you like expect? Uh, to make a long story short, Incredibly long stretches of boredom punctuated by moments of hoping depth charges don't murder you and the steel tube you now call home. Also, everything smelled terrible all the time. <laughs> just, just constantly. Um, as we're talking about the U-boat specifically in this episode, we're going to be sticking talking about the German experience. So unfortunately, we have to put ourselves in the shoes of a Nazi. Okay, so you got drafted. Submarines are obviously technical machines, and one wrong move can lead to you and everybody in the sub dying. A horrible death. Being, like, I don't know, explosively decompressed so quickly your blood literally boils in your veins. So you'd probably think that the training to get, like, to understand how to use these fucking things would be intense, and only the best sailors become submariners, right? Um, no. Yeah, you're right. Um... If, if anybody thought that was the case, um, you must be new to the show. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about this. Um, so U-boat officers were just Navy officers that went through the same training as everybody else. And if chosen for U-boat duties, they would undergo a rigorous 207-hour-long course to learn how to be an officer on a submarine. I feel like that's not enough time. 207 hours. So by comparison, a hairdresser needs 1,500 hours of school before they can be licensed in some states. Uh, <laughs> your sub, your yeah. submarine commander has less training than a hairdresser. Also, Very, so ooh. do cops. Nice. Uh, <laughs> as the war went on, that training would be decreased. As they What if you had a Kriegsmarine captain hairdresser on the submarine? Everybody's just getting shitty Nazi undercuts. Not him. He knows what he likes. I'm going to say he's going to get a, an emo pixie cut. And it's going to be like, he's going to have frosted tips. I feel like Nazis would have frosted tips. Oh, for sure. Um, but this 207-hour long rigorous course would be cut shorter and shorter as the war went on. And it became more and more important to replace all the dead people. Um, and if you Here's your handbook. There's your submarine. Good luck. Here's the keys to the sub. <laughs> Pull it around front. 
But I don't know how to drive manual. Yeah, uh, it's the stick shift sub. I don't know. I don't know anything about subs. Um, yeah, is there an automatic uh, sub and a manual sub? I assumed it's all like the Flintstones, and there's just ports at the bottom of it, <laughs> with like yeah, sailors kicking. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so let's say you were an officer, and let's be honest, nobody in here is going to be an officer. So you're enlisted. You can look. Ouch. You can look forward to uh, between four and twenty days of training. On what? Do, it, what do I train? It was depending. All on, right, don't suck in the uh, the battery fucking gas. Uh, uh, I feel like there's not really torpedoes much. Torpedoes go out, not in. Uh, remember that. Actually, funny side note. That was a problem for American subs. What? Yeah. Uh, they came out with a magnetic torpedo or something like that. And um, one time they fired it and it zipped back around and blew themselves up, <laughs> which is just some wily Coyote ass shit. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. Uh, so, how long your training was was depending on what exactly your job was aboard the sub. There's technicians. That was their job was to like actually do mechanic technician type stuff to keep the sub going. Um, They'd undergo the longest amount of training, which mind you, is still only 20 days. (laughs) (laughs) Like the guy who's like working on your diesel engine that will or will not murder you if it's worked on wrong. Solid two and a half weeks training. Nice. Uh, And then there was semen. Um, Their job was to do like shitty unskilled labor jobs like you stood watch man decked guns manually loaded uh, loaded torpedoes uh plus other like shitty manual labor positions like cleaning uh like stocking food and cooking because they're sucked on the captain's toes if he was into that sort of thing um like they didn't have a specific cook so it was also the seaman's job to like cook and like if it was their job to fire deck guns um stuff like that um okay so neither you nor your commander really knows what you're doing or what a submarine is that sucks so we're going to talk about your new life a bit the size of the crew that you'd be working with was dependent on the kind of sub you were on it could be anywhere from 20 to 50 people in the largest u-boat what yeah and the amount of space you had to work with when it came to living and working on board the sub was universally cramped. It did not matter what boat you're in. Even though the biggest U-boat was the size of a Boeing 767, it was packed with machinery uh, that kept it functioning and floating and not killing you, leaving little room for the people inside of it. It's like that robot chicken episode where it has transformers. (laughs) And there's people, there's no room for people as they like transform (laughs) and crush everybody. Um, That's that's honestly... Yeah, for sure. There's no fucking way somebody's going to survive inside a transformer when it transforms. No, you're just being turned into like Optimus Prime grease. Not good grease. No, because uh, like it has bones in it. <laughs> like a, yeah. I got a Nike caught in my gear. Yeah. Uh, so the bunks that you'd be living in were, were squeezed. Ooh, Shia LaBeouf just caught in your gears. Honestly, that's the best thing that could happen to him. Him and Megan Fox just get churned into jelly. <laughs> Um, the bunks that you were living on were squeezed into wherever they could fit this included uh, along the engine and torpedoes Uh, but don't worry you won't be spending a lot of time in those bunks anyway you'd be working around the clock on four to six hour shifts if you were a technician or eight if you were a seaman that downtime wasn't set aside for sleep either 
there's other chores that you had to do uh, other than your set duty job. So like, you know, cooking, cleaning, you know, bitch work effectively. You had to do those when you weren't doing your actual job. And that was a continuous cycle. So eight hours on, eight hours off, eight hours on, eight hours off. Forever. <laughs> Forever. Yeah, well, the U-boat's still at the bottom of the sea. They're still working. Um, and there, there wasn't enough bunks to go around because of how small the insides were. Um, so it didn't matter how many people were awake or asleep. There wasn't enough bunks anyway. Uh, the only private bunk belonged to the captain, which was separated by everybody else by a sheet. Uh, and this, <laughs> Yeah, this meant everybody else slept out in, like, in a hot bunk situation. Are you familiar with hot bunking? I don't think I want to know. It sounds gross. It's like hot couch guy. Uh, so hot bunking is the practice of you share bunks with a rotating cast of people, uh, all of whom, and, and you as well, are absolutely chock full of lice and other skin disorders uh, because that happened all the time. And there's almost no way to treat any kind of medical problem if you caught one while you're on patrol. So the bunk that you're sleeping on, almost as soon as it's your turn to get up and go to work, the guy coming off work is crashing into it right after you. Uh, it's like sitting on a hot toilet seat. Oh, okay. Someone was just here. Sometimes that's the best toilet seat when you're out in the field. When it's as, long as, you as long as you don't think about it too much. Yeah, all you got to do is be like, hey, it's warm. Yeah. Uh, so how long would some of these patrols last? How long would you be cycling forever, climbing into a, less, a lice-infested bunk that you shared with three other people. So nothing, assuming nothing bad happened and you died, you could be at sea for six months. Ugh. During that time, I hope you don't enjoy showering because you wouldn't be doing any of that. Don't need it. So space, as we talked about already, was at a premium. Fresh water, it turns out, takes up a ton of space. And that same space could be used for something that could prolong the patrol, say like diesel fuel, allowing the sub to stay out for a much longer amount of time. As the Nazis' main goal during, like during the Battle of the Atlantic was to hunt, destroy shipping um, and strangle supplies going towards Europe and at one point the UK, the longer the patrol was, the better. So that meant that almost every patrol switched out half of their drinking water with diesel fuel. This meant fresh water was strictly rationed uh, to be drink for drinking only. And even then, it was very limited to the point that everybody was pretty much always slightly dehydrated. I would hope for my U-boat to get hit by a fucking depth charge. This is the part where I get to say, wait, it gets worse. Also, <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be hoping for death about three days into this journey. <laughs> yeah. um, the subs were not climate controlled whatsoever. And you can imagine how much water you would want to drink in a hot metal tube full of churning machinery and people. Especially when you're hot bunking. The air was a mixture of hydraulic fluid, diesel fumes, Ugh. shit, piss, and body odor. Oh, fuck. And like, if, have you, like, you've swam in the ocean, right? Yeah. So like, you know how your skin feels awful afterward, like it's super dry and, and like bugs you if you like don't shower off all the salt? Um, no. Well, like it, it dries your it dries your skin out really bad and can cause rashes. Uh, like it, especially for like prolonged exposure. So like you can't bathe in seawater. It fucks your skin up. Uh, so the the Germans gave out this weird soap that you could apply that would try to get the salt off of your body, so you could then bathe in seawater. 
The problem was the soap kind of get like covered you in a weird, like oily film, Ew. like just slippery as fuck all the time, which is very dangerous when you're walking around in a metal tube full of like functioning machinery and diesel power and stuff. Like you could slip and die. Also, it was fl- it, it was flammable. <laughs> I was just about to say, what what if it just so happens that oil, oil, your slick oiled skin is all of a sudden flammable? But guess yeah, it, what? It fucking is. How could we make this worse? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Let's make it catch on fire. And then so you're, you're, you're just looking at all- the, the fucking soap and you're just like all in awe. And they're just like, but it smells good. It was unscented. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah. They could uh, at least try to make it smell good. So like, so sailors would just choose not to bathe because like... <laughs> yeah. Bathing in seawater and then using that soap literally turned them into the human torch, or or yeah, just could like you imagine it getting epi- en- just engulfed in flames underwater <laughs> and killing everyone around you at that very yeah. moment. It's like it, it, like fires aboard ships are like a horrible threat, which is why like everybody in the navy on a boat is certified as a firefighter because they're a very very big threat. Now also you're on fire and underwater, <laughs> yeah. uh, and like. I'm just like as, uh, picturing all of these guys like that scene from Always Sunny where Frank becomes a uh, a germaphobe and covers himself in hand sanitizer. Oh yeah, and it's just like <laughs> writhing around in a pile of it. Um, yeah, so like people just chose like you know fuck it, I'll just stink. Um, so like I was saying is that the the air was like putrid, it was foul. Um, it was also uh, the tubes because uh, you know they're you're submerged in and water and you have hydraulic fluid people are sweating so it was r- super humid as well and hot right. uh if you know if they, you you know about food sanitation and what happens when things are hot and humid right yeah it, everything slowly but surely gets covered in mold oh, and mildew. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for your service on the moldy shit tube <laughs> <laughs> Like, one of the jobs that you'd have every day is, like, cleaning mold off of everything. Oh. And, like, that the reminds wall- me of my barracks room from our... Oh. And, like... So, like, one of your jobs would be cleaning mold off everything, and the walls of the two of the sub would sweat. Don't you just hate that? And, like, the thing is, like, when you think about it even more, of like, what could this sweat be coming from? It's literally from you. Because, like, one of the things filling the air with humidity is your own sweat. Right, so like you're literally mopping your own reconstituted bo off the walls. Could you imagine, like one day you wake up and you realize your recording room is sweating? Yeah, like if if I was locked in this room, which by the way, and I have so much more room than a submariner, and the walls were just pulsating in my own shit juices, <laughs> I would hang myself with my laptop. Cable. And then a dude in the corner is like, "You want a hot bunk later?" <laughs> just switching up bunks for no reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so, like, we've been in situations where we couldn't shower for a very long amount of time, right? Like, what's the longest you've been in the field and not been able to shower? I usually try to, I usually find a way. I, my yeah, first like, time, you, like, you wipe yourself off or whatever. Yeah, I'd make a makeshift shower, but I, won't, I wouldn't consider it a shower, so I'd say, like, three, four weeks. Yeah, and, like, I should point out that, like, baby wiping it is significantly more than what these guys are doing. Um, like, and I think the, the furthest I went was two months. Uh, but I was like cleaning myself in one way with fresh water every day. 
Right. Um, Little bird baths. Yeah. And you could still change your uniform, which like, you know, changing your socks and your underwear and like your pants, like, hell yeah, I'm good to go. Yeah. Right. Like these. So these guys Have you right, ever like clean no yourself and then uniform. you feel lighter. Oh, God. You feel yeah. agile. Yeah. Like I'm ready to take I on the world. How, they smell like, how heavy were they? Uh, all accounts from the surviving U-boat crewmen, which there's not many, uh, like makes it sound like at the end of every patrol, like they would literally scare away people when they came out because reasons we'll talk about. Uh, one of the things about rationing fresh water means nobody's shaving uh, for six months at a time. And I don't know if you've ever had, say, a thick beard and it's really hot and humid, but I can tell you from firsthand experience, it only makes you sweat more. Right. Uh, and makes you feel disgusting because it feels like you can't get your face clean. Um, so like we said, like you feel really good after changing a uniform. These guys did not have a change of uniform. Oh. Gears, uh, gear and clothes take up space. So every sailor was only allowed to bring the clothes on their backs, along with a change of socks and underwear. Oh. In three uh, months, I'll and- change my underwear. Can't wait. <laughs> Got turned inside <laughs> yeah. out. Um, the one luxury on board, because even Nazi Germany realized they stuffed all these poor people into a moldy shit tube, uh, was an incredibly strong deodorant that was used to cover body odor throughout the entire was trip. Was it Axe? That's exactly what I thought of. of it's like shitty high schoolers just spraying <laughs> everything down with Axe. But like, okay, I'm showing my age a little bit here, but you remember a long time ago an Axe body uh Body spray commercials. Oh yeah, you got to do the X. <laughs> yeah, you'd spray, and then like women but would it, come out of nowhere. It's one continuous and, like, X. You don't stop. You spray forever until the yeah. can's empty. But you remember when like they would spray, and then women would come out because like it was attractive or whatever the stupid commercials worked. Just now imagine those same commercials, but you just like spray the X on you. And like a crowd of pale, <laughs> unwashed Nazis with lice just come shambling out of the world. Like, yes. <laughs> uh, we're going to hot bunk later. <laughs> Axe, but for Nazis with skin disorders. It just looks like a fucking zombie movie. It, it's like uh, the other guys when all the homeless dudes oh, fucking yeah. the Prius. <laughs> Thanks for the fuck, Shaq. We will fuck in your car again, sir. Oh, you have a Prius. Uh, I do. And you I, might I have, have to say, I, I have solidarity with homeless people and I allow them to have sex in my car as much as nice. they want. That's called praxis. Um, Isn't so, that called a, what did they say in the movie? It's like a soup. Oh, man. It's a soup yeah, it's kitchen. A, we're having a soup kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I think, no, I don't know if it's a soup kitchen. Uh, maybe it was. I don't remember. Um, so obviously having a bunch of people crammed into a hot metal tube that smells like shit and is covered in mold and sweating your own reconstituted sweat is bad. Um, but what happens uh, when you get a bunch of people breathing in an enclosed airtight space, Nick? Off the top of your head, what do you think could happen? Well, I imagine uh, carbon dioxide. Yeah. I imagine that'd be an issue. Eventually, it's a big one. They, they um, would need Apollo you, 13's you, crew. We have to put it together the Fanta can and uh, that pile of mold <laughs> yeah, on the wall. That's the filter. And Gunther's, and then we're going to plug it into Gunther's asshole. Um, so eventually the crew would breathe in all the oxygen, which would then be replaced by CO2 as you breathe out. 
in case anybody was aware, that's how your respiratory system works. You're welcome. Uh, so normally, you start losing your shit when your CO2 levels around 2.5% in the air that you breathe. Um, you start getting a little loopy. And then slowly, you know, you move downwards until you die. Uh, after about five hours submerged in a U-boat, the CO2 levels inside would be already getting close to 2%. This is what is known as not good. The mold starts talking to you. The mold starts growing down your throat. (laughs) One of us. (laughs) Have you watched Fern Gully? No. So there's like a a sentient glob of oil that is like one of the bad guys. It's just like slithering around and talking about how great pollution is. I just assume that's what the mold is like. Um. But remember, they can technically stay underwater for a day or longer. So if they had to, like in the case of emergency. So they had an emergency alkaline air purification charge that like they could fire that would clear the air uh, using you know, alkaline to neutralize the CO2, as well as 10 bottles of emergency oxygen as a last resort. These bottles are meant as if a, quote, if we don't use these, we will die scenario, as one person put it. Oh, yes. So what actually happened a lot of the time is U-boat crews were high as fuck from their own CO2 as they tried to run for their lives. Uh, Hilariously enough, one of the best ways U-boat crews could tell that their air was running low in oxygen and high in CO2 was because they would have a hard time lighting their cigarettes. That's how. Notice how they were still smoking as they were underwater and burning through oxygen. Yeah, they're... Oxygen would be so depleted from their environment that matches wouldn't work, which is incredible. Uh, um, and but apparently matches worked better than lighters. I feel like they probably shouldn't be smoking down there. Yeah, that's what I would say too. <laughs> um, you know, if you're in an enclosed space breathing in re- recycled oxygen, maybe don't smoke in it. Uh, so this all sounds really bad, right? So sounds fucking awful. <laughs> Nick, you're 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 a resident cook expert here. How, how do you think they're eating? Well, from all the mold. Not great, no, right? Because I remember exactly what my dad used to say whenever I used to find mold on something. He'd be like, it's extra protein. Oh, thanks, Dad. Yeah, that's just poor people. <laughs> it like, really I grew is. Up <laughs> just cut it out. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. um, so at first, so when the crew was like underway, uh, they would stuff as much fresh food as they could on board to live off of for the first few weeks of their patrols. But remember how I pointed out that there like was refrigeration no refrigeration? Wasn't yeah. Yeah. That, that part's going to become key. That sounds stupid. Uh, Let's put fresh so, produce on this tube of bullshit. And, and remember how I said that, like, you're sleeping literally everywhere? Right. What, what kind of horrible foodborne illnesses? I'm literally asking you because I have no idea. What kind of horrible foodborne illnesses could be spread? Say, if you just like slept next to a, like a, a, a raw hawk ha- of ham for weeks Ugh. at a time, because <laughs> there's literally pictures of this happening. I mean, fuck, just raw, unrefrigerated meat and like dairy and vegetables. I don't think they had a lot of fruit, but like you, you know what I'm saying. Like there's, it's, there's it's a, just out. I know the there's open. like three of them that I know I can't pronounce, but they start with C. <laughs> and I know they're bad. All of them will probably kill you in more <laughs> colorful ways. E. coli. <laughs> I know that one. I got poor guy. <laughs> yeah. I know there's like listeria and all that other bullshit. 
So what you're saying is I shouldn't just bunk. I shouldn't hot bunk next to a like a slab of beef. No, I wouldn't. Hot, I wouldn't. Uh, fuck. I, I imagine now. Fuck. Do you think they were sleeping on their food? They're like, hey, we don't have space. <laughs> sleep on top of that that side <laughs> yeah. meat. Someone just spooning alongside the cabbage. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there's a reason why that they would stuff food aboard for the first few weeks of the patrol, and not much past that. They had to eat it first and as fast as they could due to their living conditions. The air was full of diesel vapors as well as being gross and humid. And there was only one very small refrigeration unit. This meant that any fresh food was immediately spoiled within a couple days. Why don't they just pack uh, anything, like fucking top ramen? Uh, I wasn't invented yet. Yeah. <laughs> a time, the Nazis make a time machine and only jump back for cup of noodles. <laughs> yeah, they go straight back. Straight back to hell. <laughs> Any, like anything beyond a couple weeks at most, the fuel and fluid vapors in the air would turn it into literal poison. Uh, like the, the bread would sprout mushrooms on oh. it, which should be noted is not normal. <laughs> no. If you've never seen moldy bread before, it's not normally seeded by mushrooms. Look, our sandwich is growing. Our bread is growing into a sandwich. In a couple weeks, it'll be pastrami. <laughs> So early in the war, U-boat packing lists for the first few weeks of things like fresh meat, bread, eggs, fruit, vegetables, etc. And that's where I found the piece of, uh, that's where I found the picture of like just huge cuts of meat, like out of the Flintstones dangling from meat hooks between where men were sleeping. Um, obviously, that's hilariously unsafe. And some of it is propaganda, but some of it is also true. But by the end of the war, as you know, the realities of material shortage crept up on Nazis, those packing lists shrank considerably. So you're probably asking, well, that's the first couple weeks. But you said that these went on for six months. What happens then? Well, you were fucked. You'd have to survive on canned food. Pretty much just sausages. Just six months of various different flavors of Vienna sausages all day, I would take the labels off the canned and it'd be a surprise every day. What is it? It's sausages. <laughs> yeah, again. Fuck. Though the Kriegsmarine knew that their sailors couldn't survive on canned food alone. They, like, it just, you, you'll eventually, you'll be nutritional deficiencies and everything will creep up on you, whatever. So they issued a flavorless soy filler product called Bratling Spulver to round out their Ugh. diet. Now, it was flavorless, but it had vitamins and minerals in it. So, like, you don't know, you can get scurvy or some shit. Um, but the crews called it diesel food because while originally tasteless, after being exposed to the rancid air, it would just taste like diesel fuel. It reminds fuel. me of uh, what they fed the people at the back of the train in Snowpiercer. Yes. Yeah, it's the jelly. Yeah. But, like, honestly, I'd rather eat bugs, to be completely honest. I mean, that might taste better. At least it would have a taste. It's true. And not like fuel. And then Bear Grylls is sitting next to you like, oh, this is great. <laughs> Bear Grylls is being on top <laughs> yeah. of it. That's how you get the flavor. Yeah. So all of this combined with, uh, with what else? But extreme psychosis. Eating out of cans and weird globs of diesel engine cum combined with being locked in a tube with 50 dudes huffing each other's horrible shit gas did not equal good mental health. People began snapping after weeks or months of rarely seeing outside and violently attacking one another were very common. Still, other people would just stare aimlessly at the wall for hours, lost in thought, or completely snapped and gone. Hey, Mold. Uh, Me again. 
Dear Mold, I write you and you still ain't calling. Uh, some commanders organize chess matches uh, to try to like, make people focus on something <laughs> that wasn't horrible depression. Imagine and, being the uh, guy that loses what, all the time, though. Yeah, and, and eventually the Nazis installed like, a record player on the boat. Uh, but like you can only imagine how many records you could bring. It's like the same three records for six fucking months. What do you guys want to listen to? Uh, I have Baby by Justin Bieber, WAP by Cardi B, and uh, a Rocket Man by Elton John. Fuck. <laughs> Play the same well, I brought, song. <laughs> I brought Nickelback's Greatest Hits <laughs> Volumes 1 through 3, and that's when the suicides are uh, skyrocket. Actually, speaking of which, suicides were apparently not common at all. Really? Morale um, was high. I couldn't find a single... I don't know. I don't think <laughs> no. so, but like... Uh, yeah, I couldn't find a single written report of a, of a Nazi U- U-boat crewman killing themselves. Um, so, with all this, your most basic needs as a human are being met in the most nightmarish way possible. What happens if you say, you have to take a shit? I mean, you've been eating a ton of canned food, breathing in diesel fume, uh, fumes constantly, probably equals some weird, like, lower intestinal problems, right? I, I imagine. So there's two toilets on most U-boats. Um, unfortunately, one of those toilets was always used to store supplies. What? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, like, until all the supplies were used in that toilet, you couldn't use it. Here's our problem. We put an extra toilet on here. Better turn into a closet, <laughs> yeah. which, to be fair... Sounds like something any military would do because they hate you. So that meant everybody only had one toilet to work with. But you can still shit, right? Kind of. U-boats had functional toilets, but only at certain times. Uh, They were pressed for space and did not want to store any waste on subs. In comparison, the U.S. subs had a completely internal waste collection system. So, like, take a dump flush it, it would be sucked into like a storage container to be emptied out later. Where some dude would be waiting. And it was absolutely some poor bastard's job to fucking like get the, the wipey out that clogs the toilet <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Um, the Germans didn't want to build a container system for that because remember, they're already using half their water supply for diesel fuel. Um, and instead they came out with like a way to fire it into the ocean. Ugh, uh, but this is trip. the 1940s. So things didn't work out great. It was a manual operated pump uh, that the shitter would have to use after shitting. The shitty, I'm not sure. So you'd poop and you have to pump it. You'd slowly pump the contents of the toilet into the ocean. But because this is manual, it only works at low pressures, meaning it could only be used when you're at or near the surface. If the crew was submerged, it couldn't and wouldn't be used Meaning everybody had to just shit into a pile. But more, uh, what normally happened is emergencies or diseases aside, people just wouldn't use the bathroom. Um, and that's mostly because when you were underwater uh, that deep, you were running for your life or ambushing. Really not the time to try to fucking cut a turd off. So, like, hold it. Now, it's like uh, the back of the fucking bus where the shitter is. Everybody knows, eh, don't shit back there, but... Uh, I still do. Yeah, I've done it. I've, I've 100% done it. Yeah. Um, as the war dragged on and allied techni- technology to hunt these subs got better, German subs spent more and more time underwater trying to stay hidden or running for their lives. This All they meant, had to do was follow the shit trail. Well, that's the problem. That meant more and more people couldn't take a shit. 
because they were in high pressure water, so that their pump system wouldn't work. Exactly, undetectable. That, that was that was the Allies' plan. If we keep them underwater, the Nazis will just burst because they'll never be able to take a dump. <laughs> yeah. Enter the Type Seven C submarine in a toilet so high tech in this age of submarine warfare. It literally required a specially trained toilet technician in order to operate it correctly. Imagine was, that, MOS. <laughs> it was the Rube Goldberg project of taking a shit. Um, so it had yeah, like, what did I get picked for? Am I, am I a tank crewman? Am I in a battleship? Am I in a submarine? You're the toilet guy. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> God damn it. Toilet guy. <laughs> I'm toilet technician third class. Nice to meet you. Uh, you know how the Navy has uh, different insignia on their ranks, where you got the, the, the prop. <laughs> this this a fucking toilet. <laughs> yeah. It's just the guy popping a squat, taking a shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this new system directed human waste through a series of chambers into a pressurized airlock. The contraption would then blast it into the sea with compressed air, sort of like a shit <laughs> torpedo. <laughs> Did they use it in combat? So, but this meant. That it could be fired, the shit torpedo, that is, while deep underwater. Uh, a specialist on each submarine received training on proper toilet operating procedures. <laughs> uh, there, because the reason for this was there was an exact order of opening and closing the valves to ensure that the system flowed in the correct direction. Because oh. Germans either didn't think about or did not care enough because there was no safety mechanism in place in case if you did this incorrectly. Meaning if you did it wrong, the toilet would flush it in reverse and flood the submarine with water and shit. So this guy has to flush it every time? Yes. Imagine if he's fucking dead asleep and you try to uh, fucking take take a shit. That's exactly, you'd have to wake him up. I would hate that fucking job. You got all these dudes that need to take a shit after eating Vienna sausages the past week. <laughs> um, and this brings us to the case of U-1206. The shittiest the time, of them all. The time that a guy who did not use the toilet technician killed a couple people while taking a shit. Oh, fuck. So it is the shittiest <laughs> of them all. Yeah. The, the U-1206 is one of these super shitter subs. After undergoing trials, it was given over to the command of 27-year-old Adolf Karl Schlitt. That's right. His Adolf last name is Schlitt. Schlitt. And he killed some people with his shit. I'm not proud of that rhyme. Now, its first combat patrol is on April of 1945, damn near the end of the war. Schlitt and his submarine were eight days into their first combat patrol of the war. And the submarine lurked 200 Morale feet... Morale was high. <laughs> Morale and contents of his bowels were high. Um, the submarine lurked 200 feet beneath the surface of the North Sea when Commander Schlitt decided he had to take a dump. Looking around, he saw the boat's resident toilet specialist was busy on one of his other jobs. But apparently this particular dump could not wait. So he decided he could fuck it, I'll figure out the toilet myself. Schlitt took his dump and attempted to get the toilet to work, but couldn't. So he called over an engineer, a, a, the engine mechanic, it was not the toilet not, not the toilet mechanic. Yeah, to help him. With the two of them fucking with this piece of machinery at the same time, they succeeded in doing exactly what they should not have done and sent gallons of highly pressurized shit water in the wrong direction and shooting back into the submarine. They then panicked and attempted to fix this. 
Only then did Schlitt decided it, decide it was a good time to go maybe find that toilet guy the Navy gave him. <laughs> but by then, it was way too late. Seawater was flooding in through the toilet and began pooling into the engine room, submerging the batteries. Oh. This caused them to create chlorine gas mixed with shit. <laughs> locking the Nazis in enclosed space and gassing them. Oh. They call that ironic justice. Now, Schlitt was faced with two options. Stay submerged and die, either from drowning or choking on chlorine gas, or immediately surface to try to get some fresh air. He did what any other human would do in this situation, ordered the sub to surface. The crew blew, blew the ballast tanks, which helps the, uh, the submarine rapidly surface, and even fired their torpedoes in an attempt to improve the flood of vessels' buoyancy so they could surface more rapidly. What happened next is chronicled in Schlitt's own report on the incident. Quote, at this point in time, the British planes and patrols discovered us. <laughs> <laughs> like, imagine Schlitt's like, man, I've already fucked up my first <laughs> command. This could possible get worse. And the, in the background, you just hear God save the queen. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> the planes immediately turned and began firing on the submarine. <laughs> And they weren't prepared to defend themselves in any way because, remember, their lungs were just rapidly melting from chlorine gas exposure and they were trying to not die rather than man the guns. Schlitt attempted to escape but quickly sustained so much damage that became impossible. And because of his shit mishap, they could no longer submerge because of all the chlorine gas. (laughs) (laughs) Faced with capture or death... Schlitt ordered his sub to be sank and the sailors aboard, uh, uh, on board their life rafts to surrender themselves to the British forces. Now, normally it's custom for sailors to turn around and provide food and water to enemy sailors as they attempt to pick them up. But as the U-1206 was harassed by planes and not ships, it would take a while for a boat to show up and grab them. As the crew floated around, they were battered by heavy seas, and at one point, one of the rafts overturned off the coast of Scotland, killing three people. Fuck. Eventually, the sailors were picked up by a British ship, and Schlitt survived captivity and lived on until 2009. But he will forever be known as the U-boat <laughs> captain who killed more people with a shit than a torpedo. His own bid. He killed three people by taking a shit. Um, what's that? Like... What's probably more interesting is I know I've been calling them interchangeably Nazis and Germans throughout this point, um, is that the the U-boat branch of the Kriegsmarine, according to the book Iron Coffins, uh, were the least politicized branch of the German military. Uh, A good reason for that is everyone involved in operation knew how likely they were to die. So fervent loyalty to Hitler really didn't matter all that much. (laughs) Um, in the beginning, political officers were a common thing aboard these U-boats, but as the war went on and ca- their casualty rates quite literally skyrocketed, they, uh, they stopped doing that. They're like, look, I'm all about this Nazi stuff, but uh, I am not going on that U-boat. Yeah, I'm not about that underwater life. Did you yeah, hear about was... Schlitz boat? <laughs> I don't feel like dying because that guy needs <laughs> yeah. to take a dump. Now, obviously, it was common for officers and men to be uh, part of the Nazi party, but that didn't really matter when you realize that you had to be a member of the Nazi party to do virtually anything in German society at the time, to include just going to college. Um, With the political officers gone, naval officers really didn't care about enforcing political roles because they had a fucking job to do. 
Open criticism of the war and even Hitler was commonplace and went unpunished. Something that would quite literally get you shot almost anywhere else. Um, and their officers were operating under the idea that it doesn't really fucking matter. Why does it not fucking matter? Because U-boats were literally so dangerous that nobody cared. Uh, the Nazis just kind of put their hands up and said, you know what? This one's all you. Now, I've brought up how dangerous these boats were quite a few times. So we should probably look at the raw numbers and just see how dangerous they were. And that's actually a very good reason as to why there's not many firsthand accounts of U-boat crews. An average crewman had a life expectancy of 60 days. Oh. Now, if you think about it, it is very rare for a crew member of a submarine to die individually. Normally, your whole crew dies. So that meant most crews had the life expectancy (laughs) of 60 days. Surviving your first full six-month patrol was considered incredibly rare. And you get to go home after that, right? No. Oh. (laughs) Absolutely not. And most of the boats sent out, uh, of most of the boats sent out, all the boats sent out, 70% would never return. Fuck. 70% casualty rate. That is awful. By the end of the war, out of the 40,000 or so U-boat crewmen who had served, less than 10,000 survived. This meant that being a U-boat crewman was the single most dangerous job in all of World War II, regardless of what side you were on. Yeah. And there's like very, very few um, first-hand accounts. Like Das Boot is a good one, as is Iron Coffins. But like there's not a whole lot out there. I don't know why I just imagine them all getting issued parachutes before they got in their U-boat. I need you to explain that one a bit. I don't know. I just had this weird thing. Like, here you go. Here's your parachute. For what? Eh, you know. Uh, it's so, when you wrap it around yourself, your corpse might float back to the surface. <laughs> Easy retrieval. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, Nick, but for me, as someone who's not a World War II scholar, but more flutes around the periphery as a nerd, you don't hear much about the Kriegsmarine. No. Um, and when you do, it's like yeah, the wolf pack. You know, they uh, they had these wolf pack attacks. They strangled the continental Europe of supplies. They're an integral part of the Battle of Britain to try to strangle off the British Isles. Um, but honestly, I think a serious argument can be made that the Kriegsmarine was the most useless branch of the German military in World War II. Um, and I, I think. You know, a lot of these casualties were, that's just how war goes. Like, when you start losing, your casualties will increase. Um, but most of it is the Kriegsmarine had very little regard for their own sailors. Everyone in Germany by the late stage of the war, especially in 1945, like when our poor boy Schlitt killed his sub with an epic dump, knew the war was lost. And that went doubly so for the crews of the U-boats. Remember, their job was to strangle off supplies, but that didn't really matter anymore when the, when the enemy was literally inside of Germany. Their mission was pointless. There's no way you're sitting in that U-boat with shit up to your ankle thinking you're going to win the war. No, no, not <laughs> at all. And the, and the thing is, like, you could think, like, we could use these literal thousands of people in better ways. Like, sending them out. Like, I, I, and I understand by this point, they're literally holding onto like Berlin by their guts or whatever, but nothing is to be gained by sending out a submission at this point. But they were doing it all the way until the end of the war. Like there were subs that surrendered 
in the Atlantic Ocean because they were still out shooting, uh, they're sinking transport vessels. It's insane. Completely pointless. Um, not only was their mission pointless, but it was fucking suicidal. Uh, the German codes had been cracked a long time before, and Allied ships had new sonar and radar technology that made U-boat deaths, uh, made U-boats a little more than death traps. And hunting and killing them became like shooting men trapped inside of a U-boat. Um, and that is where like Colonel Donitz comes in, um, the commander of the Kriegsmarine during the war, and eventually the only other ruler of Nazi Germany other than Hitler himself. Because remember, after Hitler killed himself, Karl Donitz was uh, appointed the new chancellor of, the Na- of Nazi Germany in the north before he surrendered as well. But he kept sending out men on missions, fully knowing that they were probably all going to die and their mission was impossible. But history remembers Donuts as like pretty much like uh, like Guderian uh, or a few others as like one of the good commanders. You know, he wasn't like he wasn't a Nazi Nazi. He was just a good military commander. One that's patently ridiculous. He literally was the commander in chief of Germany for a couple weeks, um, but it's also just not true. He's literally a war criminal. It spent ten years in prison after the war. Um, also, his U-boat reputation is almost entirely built on early ac- uh, successes in the war. Uh, now, if you remember early on in the war, like when the U.S. was like the arsenal of democracy, we're going to send freedom ships yeah. or liberty—they call them liberty ships—and um, like one of their tactics is like we will just outnumber the U-boats, and they were unprotected, unescorted supply ships. So, like, the U-boats had a fucking field day. And uh, one of the most dangerous jobs to have in the American military during the war was to be a merchant uh, marine because you were just getting your shit hammered in by U-boats constantly. Uh, But this eventually changed when uh, these Liberty ships were escorted. And almost as soon as that happened, U-boats were pointless. Um, Like, the, the whole vaunted wolf pack tactic... It was pretty much Blitzkrieg in that it's empty war propaganda that people fell for and still talk about. Um, but as soon as reality uh, was confronted and the Kriegsmarine learned that they were now fighting navies capable of fighting back, they became the worst branch of the entire German military in a military full of branches that got their asses kicked. Yeah. They only excelled at attacking unarmed, unescorted, and unsuspecting cargo ships and the Kriegsmarine as a whole never really registered a victory against the Allies in a peer-on-peer conflict, which is impressive uh, when it comes to literally the navy of a world power. Like, can you think of any triumphant German military victories of the navy in World War II? There's a reason for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the same goes for World War One. Like, they just they built a navy, then didn't really want to use it because they realized that the British navy was much more powerful, and they would just get their fucking teeth kicked in. <laughs> Which is kind of hilarious, because they're right across the channel. Let's just not show up to game day. Yeah, you, it's, I'm taking my battleship and going home. So, Nick, how do you feel now about your service in a, a, a U-boat? It sounds fucking awful. You wouldn't pick I, it? I, I, like, I, if you... I would totally be the toilet engineer, though. That would be my job. Guaranteed. What do you think the ASVAB score is for the guy who's the toilet technician? Spell your name. How do you feel about pooping in toilets? I feel pretty good about it, actually. You're hired. Oh, I see you spelled your name wrong. So, uh, 
go ahead and go on to the toilet technician school. How do you feel about being a cook? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like food. That'll work. Uh, so, Nick, we do a thing on this show called Questions from the Legion. And I uh, literally don't know of a better question that could be asked for an episode quite like this, which is, what do you think is the worst job in military history? Oh, well, don't you say. <laughs> we were just and, talking about one. Yeah, U-boat fucking registered. I, U-boats definitely, some, some mariners in general, uh, definitely one of the worst in World War II. Um, it's it's hard to measure anything against it because I can't think of any other job where like yeah seventy percent of you are gonna die yeah I can't so, think of any right now kamikazes I guess but that's kind of the point yeah <laughs> that's in the job title like imagine being a kamikaze and still only having a seventy percent success rate <laughs> yeah but um, the one guy that just keeps coming back like I don't know it just doesn't keep it just doesn't work out there was that one guy that yeah. kept <laughs> that kept coming back and they eventually just shot him. yeah um that's real bad maybe a medic. From like, I don't know, the 1800s? Because, I mean, your job is awful, but most of that terribleness is impressed on someone else because you're sawing their limbs off. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's ghosts in your blood. <laughs> uh, you have too much blood in your body, turns out. Yeah. Your whole, your whole body, lousy with poltergeists <laughs> yeah. and lead. Uh, the humors are all wrong. I think one of the worst is probably like drummer boy, too. Because <laughs> like you're literally a, tr- a, a child soldier and you don't have a weapon. Unless they sharpen the end of their drumstick. Uh, like, so I get to. If there's list. any drummer boys listening, uh, give us feedback. I don't know if it, this, the, the the U.S. Army goes back to like you know all this coin and you know modern warfare didn't really pan out for us. So we're gonna go back to von Steuben's blue book, <laughs> and we're gonna start record. We're gonna start recruiting drummer boys again. Uh, like. 13 because a lot of them are like 13 14 15 years old that would fucking suck so bad oh man like uh so what's my weapon oh your weapon is those sick beats <laughs> yeah uh just drumming and playing i don't know um, and imagine sucking then you got two sides hating you you're like a shitty drummer boy so they <laughs> yeah. like throw you out in the middle yeah. well nick Thank you for stopping by and hearing about how awful your life would be if you happened to be a submariner in World War II. Yeah, it sounds like bullshit. Until next time, everyone, uh, don't serve in a German U-boat during World War II. You know what? Don't flush your toilet. Yeah, that's what don't, I was thinking. Don't yeah. flush your toilet without proper professional Hold your shit. <laughs> Hold your shit until the next episode. See you next time. Later.